Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places a dive in scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 475 is recorded live December 10th, 2020. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I think we've had our last nice weather day for a little bit. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Very well, and I enjoyed the cool Indian summer day today. Yeah, I, I got outside. Normally, I wouldn't be outside in the middle of the day, but my uh, parents borrowed my pickup for to haul some stuff. And they were turning it. So I went outside and I'm like, was well, this what it looks like in the sunshine? And it worked to that time of year where I get up, go to work. It's dark when I go in the building. It's dark when I leave. The time of year you need to go out and take a look at the lights. Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere this year. Oh, I mean, it is. people started putting them up before December. Well, and almost this... my whole neighborhood, they must have gone crazy on the outside lighting part. I mean, we're yeah. the only weird little house in the neighborhood. Yeah, this is the first year. This may be the earliest I have ever put up a Christmas tree. We put it up Thanksgiving weekend Sunday. So we, we did Thanksgiving on the Saturday. Well, Sunday we, we got a tree. Uh, we were going to put up, you know, we've got three or four artificials that we got stored. It just depends which one we want. But my daughter was kind of like, oh, we need a real tree. So we've got some friends who have a tree farm and the prices were ridiculously reasonable. So we went out and got it. Beautiful tree. Smells amazing. And that first weekend, they said that was probably going to be their last weekend selling because they sold out. Wow. Well, people have got some time to do it in their home. Yeah. I mean, we have a Charlie Brown tree and that's what we put up. That's, yeah. Not, not too much in the spirit, I don't think, or at least yeah. I'm not. Yeah, the, the Charlie Brown tree is kind of okay as a little nod or a year where you're too busy. But yeah, this one, just the way the year's been, we were looking for anything to have a little bit of holiday cheer. And uh, Well, that comes so in it, a bottle, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I got sitting next to me. <laughs> get, get through the podcast. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, got the tree up, but you're like you're saying with the lights. Uh, it's already two to three times the number of houses lit already, and they're just not like you know a little bit on the eaves and a tree in the front yard. Yeah. I mean, there's one that looks 3D. They've uh, they've got lights elevated above the sidewalk, so it almost looks like you're looking into a painting with everything all lit up. Well, it's like 4th of July for me. I like to go fly in at dusk oh, yeah. when everybody turns their lights on. And it really brightens up the area, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. I mean, because normally you'll have dark spots out in the country. And during Christmas, you don't got no dark spots. You got some nice little stuff. It's a lot mm -hmm. of fun to go flying at night. Yeah. So, so, the, so the aliens, it must help them figure out who they're going to target. I keep them. flying and I keep looking for them, damn it. And I have not <laughs> been able to find one. I just want to 
motor on over there and say, Hey, howdy, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I want if to see one of those Tic Tacs. Yeah. I, I always think of, uh, was that movie with, uh, Will Smith, uh, men in black, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're here already, <laughs> you know? Well, of course they are. In, anybody's normal. And what would they have in that? I think they had, uh, Michael Jackson was an alien and, uh, you know, all the. They had a slew of them and they all could be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Karen's saying that they might be able to see the Aurora out tonight. That's what I saw on the, uh, I looked at the line they were drawing. I've only seen it here, but I was up north in uh, Mackinac when I've seen mm-hmm. it, and it was freaking awesome. And if you were 300 years ago and you didn't know, you could really be intimidated by what the hell's going on out oh, there. Yeah. Or a meteor shower, like the world's yeah. coming to an end. Yeah. I, I was living up in Fenville, and my, gosh, I had to have been probably six, because my parents went and grabbed me and my sister from inside and said, Hey, look up there. And it was exactly like, you know, you see in the movies or video, you know, just a curtain of colored light shining. And I haven't seen it since. And at the time I just thought, Oh, okay. Well, so that's what that is. I was up in Greenland one time coming back from, from Germany and we hit it and it was freaking awesome in an airplane. It's just one of those before you had video and before you had mm-hmm. VHS and you're just looking out the window saying, wish the hell I could take a picture of this. Yeah. But again, if you didn't know back in the day, oh. that could be scary stuff. Yeah. You, you try you try to tie it to something else. What does that mean? You know, is we going to have a, a cold winter, a warm winter, a storm? Yeah. And in Michigan, be all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Just wait a few minutes. That'll happen. Well, I'd like to thank everybody's in the chat room. We got, uh, Dave and Karen and Eric and Derek are all in there. So thank you for joining us tonight. And as long as Craig stays, we'll be good. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully somebody will keep an eye out for Craig. Uh, I haven't, I'm behind on editing. So if somebody would love to help the show out and wants to learn how to edit, I will gladly provide some training. It's how we used to do it is we finished recording the podcast and then I would start editing immediately and then I'd upload. But the internet here at home has gotten so congested. I just can't get it done. And then, uh, it leads me to doing it at work or at another location. And I usually do it during lunch, but when things get crazy at work and that happens for like six to eight weeks at a time, I get behind. So that's where I'm at. I'm like, three or four episodes behind, not including a batch of three episodes several months ago that I still have to edit, which, you know, those might be some filler. <laughs> I don't know. A, a Craig missing protocol. That'd be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Be some, something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I might have to do that. I could do some scripting and, but gosh, I got so much of that stuff to do. I'm, I'm wondering now when I retire, do I get a bunch of time that frees up so I could, have time to do that? Does that happen? Uh, actually, you, you find out that all the time you have is already occupied. I mean, because <laughs> every every day is a Saturday. And, uh, you know, the, I, well, I'll do this tomorrow or I'll do it on the weekend. And you know you never do it on the weekend. So, I mean, it's like it never gets done. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was afraid of. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. 
very first episode up is talking about one of our favorite shipwrecks down there, the Golden Ray. The salvage is continuing. Um, two weeks after the VB, 10,000 crane vessels separate the massive bow section from the rest of the ship with an anchor chain. It could be late next week before operations begin on a new cut, said Coast Guardman Michael Himes. Spokesman for Unified Command crews in the meantime have busied themselves with fortifying the VB-10,000 immense system of pulley blocks, winches, cable riggings that operates in concert to pull a chain through the ship's thick steel. These modifications are being done based on what has been learned by the first cut. They're fortifying modifying the equipment in order to complete the cutting cycles with less frequent stops. In a statement released Monday, Unified Command said these improvements require custom fabrication on site and are estimated to continue for no less than two weeks. Salvers are employing the 255 foot tall twin hulled VB 10,000 to cut the shipwreck into eight pieces, each of which a crane vessel will hoist into the barrel for removal. Or I said barrel, barge. The bow section now rests on the deck of the barge Julie B at the port of Brunswick, towering. Cons- conspicuous uh towering tall over the east river downtown near mary ross waterfront park two members of the salvage operation tested positive last week for covid 19 heim said they're now medically supervised isolation others are being quarantined because they're in close contact with the two as an added precaution numerous other members of the operation are self-sequestering working off-site heim said unified command will address the issue with CDC guidelines and recommendations of their own medical staff. We learned the two positive tests last week and immediately put our protocols in place. Our medical unit is playing a key role in helping us assess and move forward as we remove the golden ray during a global pandemic. The recent COVID-19 case has not hampered progress like the outbreak among golden ray responders did in early July. The incident infected 10 members, required another 50 to be quarantined and crippled progress, contributing two-month delay in operations. The salvage operation essentially core of the workers have been sequestered by Epworth by the sea on St. Simmons Island since September to prevent exposure. These roughly 100 crew members are not allowed to leave the 77-acre campus except to catch the ferry that takes them to the Frederico, Frederica River to the shipwreck in the St. Simmons Sound. Likewise, the facility is under guard. No one is allowed in, not even outside members of the salvage operation. And they go on to talk about some other stuff. But yeah, it looks like it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, that's a big job. That's huge. Yeah. God, it's, it, the scale is just hard to fathom. This one image here yep. where you see the vessel on its side and they got the, you know, the bracing. And I remember we had the episode where we were talking about the custom bracing. Yeah. And it was being made in Germany. And you're looking at that, and that's not something anybody had on the shelf. <laughs> that was, they took a, a plan for the vessel CNC'd, uh, or probably computer plasma cut, like you would for military vessels. And then welded that all on there. Just a giant crane. Yep. And then now we'll go a little bit out west. The Vail Resorts contributes $25,000 to clean up the lake campaign. Previously announced matching donation by Tahoe Blue Vodka of 100000 has received its first match from Vail Resorts. 
The Tahoe Fund said Vail contributed 25000 in support of its campaign to remove trash around the 72 miles of the Lake Tahoe with Clean Up the Lake. The project will be completed by scuba dive team of professionals and volunteers that will begin in spring 2021. Vail Resort donation generated by $1 guest donation from lift tickets and season pass sales brings the project closer to the meeting of the Tahoe Blue Vodka's match. Having the support of Vail Resorts for a project of this magnitude is amazing, said Amy Berry, Tahoe Fund CEO. The project started as a grassroots effort with quickly grown legs thanks to Tahoe Blue Vodka's matching donation. Vail Resorts donation puts us much closer to achieving the plan or moving trash around the entirety of Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe has been known for its clarity, but has been hiding a dirty secret beneath the surface. Thousands of pounds of trash are breaking apart, impacting the lake's aquatic habitats. When this project gets underway, a team of divers will work to recover trash has been accumulating untouched under the surface of the lake for decades. Our employees and our guests take uh, care deeply about doing what we can to care for the Lake Tahoe and the greater community. Uh, said Deidre Walsh, uh, Vice President and General Manager of North Star California Resort. Supporting the project is not only a terrific way to put funds raised through our donation program in the work, but it will give our employees an opportunity to volunteer next summer to help them with a hands-on cleaning effort. We are incredibly grateful to Val Resort team for stepping up with such a tremendous contribution to help make this project happen, said Colin West, founder and executive director of the Clean Up the Lake. The project is showing the power partnership when we come together for the love of Lake Tahoe. The estimated project cost to clean a lake is 225000 And then they got uh, a website, which is www.tahoefund.org. And I, I think that is just, uh, 225000 is a great amount of money, but that's not going to clean up the lake. How deep is Tahoe? And I think they're talking cleaning it only from the diver perspective of shoreline. I don't know how they're going to clean it when it's deeper. Yeah, because I believe Lake Tahoe is a fairly deep lake. Let's see. Lake Tahoe is the largest alpine lake in North America. Uh, wow. Is that correct? 122,160,280 acre feet or 150 uh, kilometers cubed. Well, I know the average temperature, oh, I, I see or the high the water temperature is, is 54 degrees, and the annual low temperature is 34. So you're going to be doing a short time in a wet suit or uh, a little longer time in a dry suit. So I, I've got the depth, and... It's a little bit deeper than you would think of for a lake. Uh, generally, we talked about this, I thought, last week. Almost 1,700 feet, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. A little over 501 meters. So I wonder what the is shoreline a... is. Uh, let's see. You know, does it's... it drop down straight or not? I, well, it's, the 16th, it's the 16th deepest in the world. The fifth deepest in average depth. And a surface area of 191 square miles. It said the lake is so large that its surface is noticeably convex due to the curvature of the earth. Yeah, 22 miles long by 12 miles wide. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it, it's not like Michigan in size, but it's a, I mean, that's still pretty serious size lake. Well, yeah. some of the visibility is pretty decent. Yeah, it's it's got great visibility from all the images I've seen. So yeah, hopefully, yeah. So, so for, so f- yeah, for, for the money they've got, you're just going to, like you said, it's going to be, you know, diver, what, what divers can reach, you know, they're, they're not, they're not going much deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, mean, and why would you, I mean, it would be nice to, but are you going to dive 90 feet to pick up a can? No, no, you know, you know uh, I, mean, I might, I might, I might uh, play around with an ROV just to kind of get the feel for it, but. That will get old after a while too. Well, zero to thirty feet, I think, is very manageable, but zero to fifteen is more like it. Yeah. But yeah, uh, if they, they if they would fly me in, I would I would spend a couple of days uh, doing. Some I things. see the one photo of the gal on the uh, skidoo with a bag of trash. What I saw thought was interesting. I see a big shoe and a lot of uh, aluminum cans. I don't see any bottles in that goodie bag she has. Yeah. That's a good size goodie bag she's got too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, that, that's a little too big for us doing bottle hunts because <laughs> bottles about rip out the bottom. Well, you don't want to break the darn things either. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The only ones that break are the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> the rest yeah. are fine. Well, this next one, it really isn't scuba diving related, but it is a giant underwater and in quote marks, jellyfish roundabout becomes the latest Faroe Island tourist attraction. They say it's no ordinary roundabout looming at the end of 11 kilometer long tunnel under the North Atlantic. It looks like a giant jellyfish illuminated by illuminated with aquamarine lighting and surrounded by life-size dancing figures. Aside from its striking appearance, it's been called the first underwater roundabout, sitting at a junction of the newest of tunnels that link the two most populous Faroe Islands. Is that Straymoy and Estruroy? It makes the geological center of the Faroe Islands. It could even become a draw for foreign tourists. We think people will drive through the tunnel just for the experience, says, uh, Teacher Samuel, CEO of Faroe's Tunnel Company that raised 360 million. Trying to get got this damn ad that keeps popping up. Uh, 300 and, oh, you bastards. Uh, the tunnels are the Faroe's largest infrastructure project. Another example of the fast-paced economic development of these islands, which have seen rapid expansion from the capital, and I'm not even going to try and guess it, a big increase in international tourism, albeit stymied by a year, uh, by this year by coronavirus. In spite of the downturn, Tuna Hotels opened this autumn, doubling the city's bed capacity in Atlantic Airways and National Airline. Uh, revised its uh, received its newest Airbus A320 Neo in June. When travelers do return, they will find it easier and quicker to reach the much less visited northern islands, which are currently about 90 minutes drive across the winding roads. So this is a like an underwater tunnel. Yep, the tunnel and, length is 11.2 kilometers. It's 
10 meters wide, gradient of 5%, lowest point is 187 meters. Uh, let's see what it, construction period been five years. Do they, they say the technique, is this one of those cut and cover or is this a uh, uh, submerged tunnels? I'm not real sure. I, I posted a picture in there of a, of a tunnel group, all the guys working down there. Yeah, the, see, it I looks like that's a stone tunnel. So that, the, you know, kind of the old old type of mining. Yeah. The contract value was $1.1 billion in OK. So I'm not sure what that is or how much that is, I should say. Yeah. I mean, it's very attractive. It's a interesting I wonder look. when you drive through, if you do like we always do when we go to the tunnels in the mountains is you honk your horn <laughs> or don't you do that. Don't you do that? Ah, uh, no, I kid, haven't. And you go through tunnels and you say, honk the horn, dad, honk the horn. You know, oh, come I, on. I didn't even think of it. My kids didn't last time we went through, you know, we, we've gone when you head to DC or through Pennsylvania, there's a few tunnels there. Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, you'd see that. I mean, I look at it. Honk your horn. No, dad. No, no. Now I got to drive just to honk the horn. And then probably tick everybody off, but I have to get a great horn for it, though. You'd have to have something. Here's an interesting care. character. I'm going to post another picture real quick. So what Max doing is he's posting these into the <laughs> chat room. So if you, <laughs> I if can be one of us. So so yeah. So when you're oh, okay. Oh yeah. Oh that yeah that could be. Yeah, looks like an elf guy though, doesn't he? Yeah, no, he's he just, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's following, uh, social distancing and, and not visiting the hair salon. That's all that is. See, I, I would have to wear the hat because then you would think I've had, had, had hair on my head. So, well, let's see. Now we've got the seafarer announces discovery of historic period shipwreck material. This out of Tampa, Florida. It's a, uh, press release. Seafarer Exploration Corp is announcing they have discovered a large concentration of colonial era shipwreck material in Area 2 off Melbourne Beach, Florida. The historic period shipwreck material comprises a variety of artifacts situated within a concentrated area. You're breaking up. Oh, I can hear me perfectly. Uh, so it's a situation, uh, historic artifacts are still <laughs> under investigation, could either be part of a historic material previously found over the past few years or a second shipwreck entirely. Currently, there's not enough information to precisely determine the provenance of the artifacts in accordance with the current site permit. The site has been reported to Florida Bureau of Archaeological Research. We have temporarily paused bottom-disturbing activities within 50 meters of the location containing the artifacts in order to preserve the archaeological site's context with a continued site exploration plan can be submitted to the FBAR. FUBAR. Under, once submitted, the site can be more extensively explored. In the meantime, Seafair Exploration will continue to archaeologically investigate the area as well as explore other locations of interest in Area 1 and Area 2. According to Project Archaeologist Dr. Robert H. Baer, Seafair Exploration Discovery possibly dates from the mid-1600s to a period ending before the Industrial Revolution, no later than 18. 
1500, the type and orientation of the artifacts in the ocean floor is indicative of materials used to construct a colonial period sailing vessel that came to rest on the ocean's floor where it decayed, leaving a fairly compact scatter pattern. The location depth would also minimize scatter from the storms near shore surge. It's unlike other sites which can be scattered for miles. The work product described here has been performed under the authority of the exploration permit from the state of Florida. And, uh, yeah, this is a, you got to be careful with these press releases because they're probably looking for Percent of what you were saying. What's that? Hello? Being out on me, I'm, I'm maybe getting five, 10% of what you're saying. You're not able to hear me, huh? Okay. Mac, they're, they're saying that maybe your internet that's cutting out. And I'm the one dropping out. Yeah, that's that's what Eric's saying, which I'm surprised because your your internet's usually better than mine. Well, <laughs> there's a disagreement. Some are saying they hear me fine. Some are saying they hear you fine. So we're gonna blame Discord when when everything's in doubt. Blame Discord. Just give it a second for everything to clear up. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. So you're just talking nice and yep. smooth, but I didn't hear you before. Yeah. So I wonder if I'm still breaking up. When I hear you, I hear you fine, but there's just times where I don't hear anything. Yeah. But, yeah, so th so this wreck or whatever it is down there, uh, Florida's pretty notorious for trying to claim that whatever you find is a military vessel calling the other countries who could potentially have a vessel in that area and then the state of Florida gets rights to the whole thing. So I think that's a little bit of a scam there. So I'll be interested to see how this one turns out. Is this going to be the same thing where it's some mysterious military vessel that, you know, stole from the indigenous people of North America? A war canoe? <laughs> yeah, war canoe. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully we, we hear some more about this. Oh, the next one's good. Turkish research discovers 18th century warship wreck in the Aegean. And it had some of the things I think that you like to hear about. So an ancient history lies beneath the waves of the Aegean. Um, it's from the 1800 and a bunch of cities I can't pronounce. The sunken ship is thought to be about 250 years old has been added to the growing inventory created for ongoing research at the Institute of Marine Scientists and Technology. The research is supported by the Presidency of Strategy and Budget is called the Inventory of the Turkish Sunken Ship Project's Blue Heritage, or TUBEP, T-U-B-E-P. The record is found by the research vessel Kocha Priya Regis, Regis. Using remote control underwater robot with sonar technology, the vessel takes its name after the 15th century Ottoman admiral and cartographer, Perry Rius. He is best known for his world map, which is the oldest Turkish atlas showing the new world. Researchers studied the surrounding seafloor and discovered wood that originally belonged to the ship's hull, as well as brown ceramic kitchenware of Italian origins. The findings such as plates, pitchers, pipes, and parts of wooden reels have been handed over to the Bordrum Underwater Archaeological Museum. With discovery, five sunken warships have found in the 
Izmir area, which is an important naval base during the Ottoman era. The ship's origin and purpose remains unknown as research continues. Uh, let's see, skip down here a little bit. Uh, talk about the uh, people digging some stuff up. The wreckage was found in the FOCA was complete surprise. In the Ottoman records, there's no mention of a naval battle in this area. In the research we conducted, we have found well-preserved remains of a warship at a depth between 50 and 55 meters. The ship contains 20 bronze and iron cannons, a large number of round shot and kitchenware, which have also located identified pieces of the ship's main hull. The ship's dimensions are about 25 meters by 7 meters, but is currently scattered over a 250 square meter area. It was probably sunk in conflict in the area towards the end of the 18th century. Uh, they found cups of both Ottoman and Italian origins in the ship. There are several theories regarding the ship's identity. It may be a pirate ship or a ship that was sunk during a conflict between Ottoman Empire and Italy. We don't often find warships outside of war zones. This finding will give us valuable detailed information related to the historical daily life, shipbuilding technologies, and distribution areas of use and shapes of military ammunition. He pointed out Foca has been an important naval battle in the Ottoman era. In those times, logistical support for many wars was provided by Foca. With this wreckage, Izmir is now sits at the center of a military history of ships. We add this wreckage to the ones found near the island of, oh my gosh, Sesmi Koyu Izmir becomes one of the most populated cities in terms of shipwrecks. It puts Izmir in the foreground naval history of warfare. He had that Turkey is the capital of the world's underwater cultural heritage. It is possible to trace history all the way to the Bronze Age and shores of modern-day Turkey. It'd be interesting to see if they... Uh, it's probably too far deteriorated to figure out the cause of what sunk it. But it seems reasonable that it may not have been the location of the conflict if you had just enough damage and were able to limp away and sunk someplace else, it might not be in the records. But I figured you'd like the cannons. Always like cannons. And then probably something that we like even more than cannons is sunken submarines. Yes. Boy, they got a bunch of acronyms on this one. So the title says, Sunken Submarine Discovered Off CMCO's coast. So what does that mean? Atlantic Wreck Salvage, AWS owner and operator of the DV Tenacious, announced December 10th the discovery of a submarine off the Del Marva, uh, Del Marva Peninsula. According to the release, the vessels yet to be dived and visually identified. But based on side scan sonar data, the location, historical record, the team firmly believes the wreckage to be of the R-8 SS-85, an American submarine dispatched by an experimental aerial bomb testing in 1963. Discovery is historically important because the R-8 is one of few American submarines resting in diveable East Coast waters that is yet to be located. The R-8 was one of 27 R-class submarines commissioned by the U.S. Navy during World War I, but she was not completed until after the armistice. She was built in 1918 by Force River Shipbuilding in Quincy, Massachusetts. The shipyard built many of the U.S. Navy's destroyers and early submarines. The R-8 trans 
transited to the Panama Canal, became part of the Pacific Fleet, and participated in naval training off the coast of California and Gulf of Mexico. In 1923, she sailed west to Pearl Harbor, where she participated in training and operations with fleet units for the next eight years. In 1927, R-8 searched for pilots who had gone missing during the Dole Air Race, the first airplane race from California Hawaii. R-8 was called back to the East Coast in 1930, became part of an inactive Naval Reserve fleet in Philadelphia. She sank in the Naval Yard February 26, 1936, and was raised in April struck from the Navy's list in May and used as a target in aerial bombing test in August. Four near misses with 100-pound bombs ultimately sent her to the bottom of the ocean and sealed her fate. Sonar data leaves little doubt that the R-8 has been located. State world-known sonar expert Gary Kozak of GK Consulting, who analyzed sonar data with his team. The submarine, the image is a correct length, the width, and height. One set of prominent features, the R-Class sub- Visible in the scan image is the spray rail config on the conning tower. Ship historian, author, wreck hunter, Captain Eric, was that, Takajian, and DV tenacious Captain Joe Mazzarani have been working on the R-8 project for many years. In 2020, when AWS acquired side scanning sonar capabilities, they moved the Tenacious from her home port and Port Pleasant to the Ocean City of Maryland to conduct searches for R-8's remains. Captain Ted Green assisted the team by providing information about potential targets he gathered through his years captaining's dive boat, the OC Diver. Veteran wreck diver Mark Nix, who dove with Green and OC Diver, now dives with DV Tenacious, was an integral part of the search team. Discovery of any new vessels exciting. It appears from sonar images that the site will be revealing a well-preserved example of an R-Class submarine in existence anywhere. We're looking forward to conducting additional research and diving the wreck in 2021. At this time, the team is not releasing additional details about the depth or location of vessel until they can dive the wreckage and make a formal identification. Side-scan sonar images reveal the vessel is intact, sits upright on the ocean floor. Images were acquired with the Klein System 3000. Joseph St. Armin subsequently processed the sonar data using SonarWiz from Cheapskate Technology so the team could compare the vessel on the ocean floor with historical photographs and plans of the R-8. <coughs> this is not the first submarine discovered by DV Tenacious. In 2012, the team discovered the remains of the U-550, the last U-boat thought to remain in diveable North, Amer North Atlantic waters. R-8 Discovery team members, Kozak, Mazarini, Tom Packer, Takajan, were all part of the U-550 Discovery team. Members of the R-8 Discovery team include Tajikistan, Ted Green, Kozak, Nick Packer, Christopher Ogden, Jack Lorenzuk, St. Amon, Jennifer Saluti, and Mazarani. And I apologize to everybody's name I just slaughtered. It's about as close as I'm going to get. So what I what I found most interesting about that vessel was it originally sank in the Navy Yard in February of 1936, and was sank later in the year when they use it for bombing practice. Yeah, but I mean it's and a good use. You see the pictures I posted? Uh, yeah, let me take a look down there. Uh, that's, that's a side scan that tells you what it is. Uh, you better believe it. 
Yeah. I'm I'm not a yep. side scan expert and I can pretty much yeah. say if it's not that, it's something real close to that. Yeah, I went to a different site and found those pictures. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a you know, those those World War, World War One submarines are just a little bit of a different look. Yeah, you know, it's everybody's trying to figure out what a submarine should be, what it should have, what's the most efficient use to get to space in the mission. So not a long lifespan for a submarine then because it probably something better came out relatively quickly. Well, the interesting part I found on one of the pictures I posted, it shows a secondary picture inside of it. It shows the conning tower with spray rails. I've never seen that design of the different sub. And when you take a look at the actual picture of the sub, I do not see that on the pictures I, I found on the boat itself. So when they say spray rails, that's just kind of the, because it, it's it's one of those conning towers where the hatch is like even with the surface. So the spray rails I'm assuming is the like the guardrail so you have something to hold on to. Well, it's not even to the surface because if you take a look at the third picture I posted, you can see a captain back in the in the con. He's halfway up, so he's gotta be standing on the hard deck there. But I don't see evidence of those ridges or spray rails. Thought that was interesting. Yeah, these are bad uh, shots. It would be nice to have a profile shot because I think that would make it a little clearer. Uh, yeah. It looks darn intact, though. And the bottom's got nothing on it. It said diveable depth. I didn't see a depth on it. Did you? No. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying 200 or less. Yeah, that, that would be my guess. Um, and then what they were saying with how it was sunk... Uh, four near misses with a hundred pound bombs ultimately center to the bottom. So that tells me they really didn't blow a hole in it, at least that they were aware of. They just compromised it in a way that it sank. Right. Looking at the pictures, I don't see any, the forward section from the aft end of the con forward looks intact and the back end looks like it's hidden to the bottom. So if it did, it sank ass end in. And maybe uh -huh. penetrated the dirt a bit. Yeah. I was wondering if they used if they leave the uh, hatches and stuff open when they do that to facilitate. You know, it, it probably to sink. It probably depends on the mission. It seemed like this one. What they only did four, four bombs. It seemed like you'd have done more, but maybe that's all they were going to do today. Maybe maybe this is just like us throwing. Uh, like my son, when he does target practice, likes to take old car parts and shoot at them. So maybe this is just the equivalent. Yeah, what do we got? Oh, this is sitting here floating. Let's tow this out and see who can hit her. Because uh, I could see you doing it either way. I, I mean, for one thing, if you just wanted to validate, hey, how, how, how good is it? Then you leave the hatches closed and you actually have to work to sink it. If you yeah. just want want it to kind of go down, then you leave it open and... You know, that way even waves and stuff could swamp it. But in diveable depth, that'd be, that could be a cool wreck to dive on. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the depth and how much time you could spend there. Yeah. And then how about this for some potentially cool scuba gear? 
Revolutionary nav ROV can be tracked on Google Maps while underwater. Uh, manufactured by Canadian company Deep Trekker, the Revolution nav is in many ways like other ROVs. It's linked to topside operator via communications tether, has six thrusters, two vertical, four horizontal, can descend down to 305 meters or 1,000 feet, shoots 4K 30 frames per second video aided by LED spotlights, has a robotic grasping arm, can reportedly run for up to eight hours on one three-hour battery charge. It has swappable lithium-ion battery pack. When it's launched near shore or boat, the operator drops a soda can-sized object known as a transducer in the water. It floats on the surface besides them, transmitting acoustic pulses into the sea or lake. Each time a transponder mounted on top of the ROV receives and detects one of the pulses, it responds by sending one of its own. When the floating transducer detects a responding pulse, it is able to determine how far away the ROV is from it based on the amount of time it has elapsed since it sent out its pulse and in which direction because of a GPS module in the operator's handheld control unit allows that device coordinates to be known in integrated microprocessor, thus able to also calculate ROV coordinates. That's actually pretty cool way to do oh. that. Uh, the technology is not unique to Deep Trekker. However, the company goes an extra step using the data to display the Revolution Nav's current location on a Google Maps inset on the controller screen. The route from the ROV as followed is also displayed. This can be saved for future reference if the operator spots something of interest on the live feed from the ROV's camera. For instance, it can mark its location on the map for subsequent investigation. And yes, the vehicle also has a spherical head that can be tilted 160 degrees up and down relative to the body. This means while the ROV is holding its position within the water column, its cameras, lights, and arms or other optional add-ons can be moved to get to the optimal angle for the task at hand. Should you want to buy one, uh, it's kind of intended for professional use. Just a scant $56,999 you can see in action. And they've got a video in this article. They have a non-nav version without the GPS tracking is... Twenty nine nine ninety nine, U.S. I went to their site just to take a look. They have one called the DTG three, and it's rated to six hundred and fifty six feet. Eight hours on the battery, two and a half knots, two custom ports. So, they do a, a varied mix here of different type for your different budgets. When, when I look at this one, this is kind of what Jim had wanted. He, you know, it's got the grappler, which was uh, one of his requirements. Uh, it's kind of a nice, compact-looking unit. Uh, it's uh -huh. got the four thrusters on the horizontal plane, and I can't tell. I don't see a, a top-down view, but I'm going to guess there might even be a couple thrusters up there. And then trying uh, to load another one. I had a picture of their secondary oh, one, five thousand dollars for it. Oh, I mean, almost small. reasonable. Almost reasonable. Well, the the thing is, uh, did you go through look at some of the pictures? Yeah, uh, they've got five images. It's smaller than I thought it was, which then makes me that price kind of a little shocking. And it does have the two thrusters on the top, so you got four on the horizontal. Uh, for rotation, and they have some for descending and ascending. The one on the right is the uh, Deep Trekker DTG3. That's five thousand dollars. 
Now that's more in our price range. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, because you're not going to sell a lot of these, they're all going to be pretty much handmade and designed. Yeah. And for people who need them, you know, that money's reasonable. What's funny it's, is when you look at the accessory for it, you know, one of the accessories is a dive no. mask. <laughs> a dive mask? Yeah. If you go to the side and look at it, it says, accessories you might want are so, uh, so lens, that cleaning, lens, cleaning cloth, uh, GoPro mount, uh, uh, Keymaster case, and innovative scuba concepts double mask, meaning double vision. Wow. I was sort of surprised to see that, though. So, so the GoPro mount. Well, careful there, big expander. <laughs> but, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because that way you'd have some, some backup recording at a fixed uh angle well it's only 417 a month come on that's that's doable yeah the tether is 164 feet so the the depth you know 656 you know that would be good for most of our wrecks so oh yeah yeah this is this would be good i i keep telling myself that we need to build something like this uh, what I don't understand, especially with something, once you're tethered, you have the potential for extremely high bandwidth. So why not take advantage of that? And why do you only need cameras forward-facing? With the way technology is now, you should be able to put an array of cameras on that thing and have pure 360 at 4K. Ooh, what is that one, Mac? That one's the Genio Titan underwater ROV, 492-foot depth with 492-foot tether for $2,500. Yeah, yeah. See, see, you're getting into it where, I mean, you, the technology is coming out. Uh, yeah, it's a 4K video, 8 megapixel, mm -hmm. uh, say 1.25. Uh, 1. CMOS sensor and two 1500 lumen lights. Yep. And it also has the scuba mask as an accessory. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, the uh, underwater gripper you can have for that is an accessory that's uh, 300 and, well, $400. Mm -hmm. That's all cool stuff. Again, we're more than happy to uh, check out any of this. Yeah. If somebody yeah. wants to send us something to uh, <laughs> work with, we'll give you a, a report. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it on some targets. Oh, give absolutely. Sizzle reel for your promotions. Oh, absolutely. We've seen how well that's worked so far, all the stuff that comes rolling in. Yeah. <laughs> So that does it for Scuba in the News. Nice little collection of articles. I was a little worried when I got started. I was on about the fifth page of my search results before I'd found anything, but we're able to pull something together. So I almost hate to ask, but has anybody got any diving in? I haven't seen anything on Facebook. I have not either. I, I'm, since Karen's here, I don't know if she got back out to be looking for that ring again. I'm curious how that went. Yeah, um, but you know, Kevin's been 
busy with occupational requirements, so I don't think he's yeah. been able to get much done. Uh, I've got all my stuff inside. I need to do a little bit of organizing and probably send some stuff out for maintenance. Uh, any any thoughts on a uh, uh, dive in for New Year's? I'm still game, but we need to be getting out there doing a cold water checkout before we do anything on New Year's night. Yeah, I know Kevin and Amy were interested. Sir Larry uh, said he'd be interested. I'm obviously interested. Uh, well, but logistics, we don't have the trailer this year. Uh, well, and if we I, did, I would I would probably go back down the Niles like we did before. It's a known area. Uh, the entry point was good. Uh, if it was a decent night, we could do it without the trailer. Well, I was thinking what we need to do is make up an object that is representative of 2020, put chains around it in a concrete block, and sink the damn thing. Uh, that works for me. Get get rid of this year. Of course, when nobody's looking, looking, you have to bring it back up because you don't want to get in trouble for polluting. But yeah, we're bringing it up in twenty twenty one. Plus, well, well, yeah. So yeah, I've yeah need to get some dives in. I'm missing. That. Um, do you have a dive safety story for the week? Well, I'm I'm trying to find it, but my my little cursor is just going round and round and round, and it won't settle, and I cannot figure out why that's doing that to me. It's irritating. I'm afraid if I dump the program, which just dumped for me, <laughs> all my screens are white except for for this, so I don't know what the hell's going on. Well, while you're, while you're doing that, we'll go ahead and do the normal plugs, which is if you want to send us a message, you can do the show at scubaobsessed.com, and that will get to somebody who takes a look at it. You can also go to the website, www.scubaobsessed.com, and click on the Contact Us, put something on there, and I usually eventually get it once I figure out that you're not a Russian spammer. Um, if you want to help the program, www.scubaobsessed.com click on over to our patreon link any amount of money would be greatly appreciated we are to that time of the year where uh, in fact i say this time of year it's this time of the week any day now uh, they're going to hit me up for renewal pay a year at a time so it's kind of like uh buying a mini bike i think is about the equivalent uh so but we appreciate that support we've got quite a few uh supporters uh, certainly appreciate you downloading the program. I understand if you are not in a position to be able to contribute to the program. If so, maybe you could just get a friend to listen or, you know, some sort of five-star review. Also kind of interested to hear where people are listening, uh, from meaning what types of tools they listen to, uh, you're using the Apple iTunes podcast app, or you're using, Google plays or some other third party app. We get some analytics, but yeah, I don't necessarily trust them. So what's, what's the way you like to, uh, Spotify is one I'm, I'm a little reluctant on cause I kind of think they're trying to break the whole podcasting system. Uh, you know, if you, if you've been a follower of, of a podcast that's gone exclusive with them, then, you know, the rest of us are kind of missing out cause you know, I, I don't pay for Spotify. I'm that old. 
hard to believe, but I don't, you know, I already bought the music once. I'm not paying for it again. Get off my lawn, I think, is the next thing you're supposed to say when you say that. Well, I don't have the blue screen of death. I have the white screen of nothing. Okay. Well, that's, I'm that's surprised. I don't know why you're still on because this is not doing a damn thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to fix it, but if it doesn't, that means you're going to lose me. But well, you've pretty much got everything under control, so I'm going to try it. And if it works, I'll get back on. Otherwise, save the jokes for me for next week. Okay. <laughs> should I sing a song? Is that what I should do now? Well, we wait for Mac to get back on. And of course, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to edit this out and then never actually edit it out. So it will be in there. Set it on fire before sinking a piece of copper pipe, some black powder and a fuse. I, I, I go for that too. I was kind of going for that mob thing, you know, like we're going to exterminate 2020 with extreme prejudice. Oh my gosh. I'm, 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 I'm reviewing some of the jokes and there's one maybe we'll do after the episode. It starts off G goes PG and then it really goes a few, uh, ratings beyond that. So unfortunately, uh, won't be able to use that one. It's kind of, like we're all waiting in suspense. Well, it's 10.39, so we'll give him till 10.41. And if he's not back, we'll end it there. Oh, gosh, there's some jokes. Well, I think he's overboard, so let's see. We'll we'll end this and get out of here. So a uh, millionaire who loves alligators filled his pools full of them. One night he has a party, and whoever can swim from one end to the other of the alligator-infested pool unharmed will get a prize, my daughter or a million dollars. Some people line up, but they are hesitant. One man gets in the water, swims from one end to the other unharmed, and went to the millionaire. The millionaire says, wow, I can't believe you did it. So what's your prize? The guy says, I don't care about the million dollars or your daughter. I want to know who was the bastard that pushed me in the pool. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And as Mac would say, if he hadn't jumped off, stay safe.